Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Semio Decoded. I'm Jess. And I'm Aaron. <laughs> and I we're here. Right? I, I just didn't have to follow up. <laughs> we'll do that we again. We should probably do that again, yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Asimio Decoded. This is episode three of season two, and today we're going to be decoding data, what it is, how we think about it, and how it affects our partners in the mission-driven space. So just to dive right in, Aaron, what, how do we think about data? What's a good way to think about it? You know, it's funny because we our last episode was on one of the most advanced technologies that we've ever created as humans. And I almost feel like it's harder to answer that question than it is to talk about, you know, large language models. And the reason for that is data is, is used in so many different ways as a word. It's really a placeholder for different things and meanings. And when we use it, a lot of times the way I'm using it inside my own internal monologue and as I'm talking with you is different than the way you are. So let's just start by acknowledging it's a super loaded term. Yep. So the way that I start to try and tease that apart is, is in relationship with technology. And I'll use those terms intentionally and differently. And I'll start with the easier one to describe. Technology is, um, in the way we talked about it at Asimio, is an efficiency creator. So it spans all the way, if you think about all the way back to fire. And when humans first discovered fire, it helped us see after dark when we didn't have sunlight it helped our brains get nutrients more quickly and efficiently from cooked food and you go all the way forward to today and you look at tools like chat gpt and it's helping us write emails more quickly or helping us develop content data on the other hand is separate from technology it flows through technology we are in fact a data and technology company However, there are a number of us on the team who are always willing to throw down and have a conversation about etymology, proper use of a word, linguistics, semantics, you name it. So to that end, I couldn't not do a call out about data and technology and the evolution of these words. Let's start with data. Historically, the term data comes from the Latin word datum, which means something given. In the mid-17th century, data was primarily used in philosophical arguments to denote statements accepted or assumed as true. With the advent of computing in the mid-20th century, data began to be used to describe quantities, characters, or symbols on which operations are performed by a computer. So it became a term to describe information in a format suitable for use with a computer. And over time, data expanded to cover various types of information stored and used by digital systems. Now, technology, on the other hand, comes from the Greek words techni, meaning art, skill, cunning of hand, and logia, which means study of. It originally referred to the study or pursuit of the practical arts. Over time, it evolved to mean the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes, especially in industry. In the 20th century, the definition of technology grew to include the entire networks, systems, and machinery that use this knowledge. It extends from simple tools like a wheel or pulley to complex machinery like computers and smartphones and large-scale systems like factories and power grids. 
So to sum it up, data historically referred to given facts or assumptions and now broadly encompasses all types of information used by digital systems. Technology, initially the study of practical arts, now signifies the practical application of scientific knowledge, including tools, machinery, systems, and the networks that use this knowledge. You may use data in the same way you use information. For example, you, you may use those terms interchangeably or even knowledge, but there's actually a helpful tool called the DIKW pyramid. So DIKW, data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. And how is this defined within that particular framework? It talks about data as the more raw, unorganized facts that might be collected. It's usually not processed. There's not a lot of context around it. It could be just a series of, of um, you know, temperatures, for example, or ages. It turns into information after it gets processed and organized and structured. It, it basically becomes meaning at this point. And it answers questions around like, you know, who, what, when, where. And so you now you have a series of ages, but maybe, you know, it's students in a school system. And now we've wrapped the raw facts in a set of information. And then, so then we advance on to knowledge and that's when we get understanding from the information. And, and it's beyond just the context, but it also answers things around the experience or interpretation or reflection. It answers how questions, like how does chronic as absenteeism affect a student's life or trajectory in education and beyond, for example. And then wisdom, and this is the highest level of the DIKW pyramid, and it involves action in how we make decisions based upon knowledge and it helps us point ourselves in the right directions maybe make better informed decisions or predict outcomes super relevant right and the reason why we're talking about data you know as a technology company that works in the mission driven space we work with nonprofits we work with foundations i mean this information is super critical to advancing these missions to helping do their work better increase their impact and so we think about this, these are, these are tools, right, to help them do their work. Yes. As a lifelong technologist, it may be surprising, but I actually don't care that much about technology. Uh, I, I'm not the, the individual that has, wants the latest gadget and, you know, um, reads up on, you know, you know, around gift giving times, you know, what, what's the coolest thing that I can ask for from friends or family or whatever. I care about efficiency and efficacy. And that's really technology helps us become much more efficient. Now, outside of, um, you can become more efficient at doing the wrong thing. And this is one of the real dangers of technology. You put in infrastructure, you encode processes and workflows. And if you're aiming at the wrong direction, then you actually magnify negative impact. And that's one of the concerns with some of the more advanced technologies we have these days. So while there's a ton of nuance with the example I'm about to provide, one large-scale example of how technology can amplify efficiency in one area at the expense of perhaps better alternatives or complementary alternatives is with the prevalence of U.S. roadways and related dependence on cars. Now, is it the wrong thing? Do we bake in the wrong thing? Maybe not. But the U.S. isn't exactly known for being pedestrian-friendly or having bustling public transit. In fact, the U.S. is consistently ranked highest among similar countries for car dependence. A 2022 Forbes article pinpoints the shift to an editorial piece published by road builder 
Edward Marin, this was written in 1922, who suggested that to lower the shockingly high number of pedestrians that were killed by automobiles, that roads be redesigned for motorists alone. Fast forward to the mass infrastructure projects brought on by the New Deal and World War II that connected the country by highways and the subsequent car boom of the 1950s. The U.S. infrastructure is now heavily dependent on a singular piece of technology, automobiles, which may not be the most efficient or effective way for cities and other regional areas to be connected. Blacktop asphalt roads contribute to environmental concerns, and they take up a large amount of valuable space to transport a comparatively small number of people when compared to public transit. So data and information and knowledge and wisdom like, is, is helpful to help us point ourselves in the right direction. Now, I actually don't care about data. I really don't. Like, I don't care about data at all. Except within the context of helping us move beyond the raw facts into information, knowledge, and wisdom. So a lot of the work we do is putting technology infrastructure in place to enable good processes. And that's why it's hard to build custom software because you have to look closely at if the processes and workflows are correct or not, and then start from there. And then on the data side, you want good data, not because we care about raw facts, because good data helps us process that into better information, improve knowledge. And then at the, you know, top of the the pyramid is improved community wisdom. There's some really cool tools out there, really innovative applications of, you know, even older technologies, but you don't need those tools to have an impact and to start making sense of data. In fact, most of the organizations that we work with can benefit immensely from starting super simply. You know, even the power of a, a Google spreadsheet or uh, even an intentional set of just simple documents, as long as they're well organized and they're used consistently, um, can really advance shared understanding and improve the way that you're collecting information. And this gets to kind of this difference between the data, the information, the knowledge, et cetera, and then the tools to help you utilize that or make sense of it or access that information too. One of the red herrings that a lot of, of organizations and leaders can get on is, and can chase after, is that uh, you know getting a system is going to automatically improve their organization. If, if you just buy the right data system, then boom, we're there. You know, now in some circumstances, that's that can actually be true. For example, if you're doing something that's been done a million times before, right? If you're opening up a new nonprofit that has a repeatable model, and there's a data system out there that's been built to service that model that has the processes encoded into it, then you can adopt that data system and those processes as a starting point, right? Like for here at Asimio, we do time tracking and it didn't make sense to build time tracking software to like internally. It's like, like tracking time is a fairly well-known process that has systems out there that we can take off the shelf and, and put in place. Where the challenge comes in is when you were dealing with social problems, a lot of times like outcome tracking or the, the problem as the problem shifting or shifting our program to meet new problems or issues arising, then data systems are flexible enough. And there's not necessarily an off the shelf system you can put in place to attack your, 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 the challenge that you're dealing with. So that's the difference there is the technology infrastructure is one problem to solve and it's of lesser strategic value in a sense, because it's creating efficiency in real time as you're doing service delivery, then the the data is useful for not only tracking 
services, but then also trying to predict where efficiencies could be gained in the future or where outcomes could be shifted. So talk about the relationship between data and technology. We talked about the differences. So I would say that in, in the best of worlds, data flows through technology systems and the data traverses the infrastructure, much like humans might traverse highways, right? And as you know, in the best of worlds, you can flow through very easily. You can get on, you know, interchanges that bring you to other neighborhoods, right? Where you can go and, and do things and you can flow seamlessly and easily. And there's systems in place along the way. Maybe there's toll systems or there's your check engine light comes on. You need to go over and like do some maintenance stuff there. But really the, you know, a human traversing on road infrastructure is different. You're, you're, you're married in the sense that you're traveling on the infrastructure. And so you need that infrastructure to move, but data is in a similar way is captured within a technology system and should be able to move between systems very easily and get used and turned into other things like information along the way. So they're loosely connected in the best of worlds as movement on of raw facts and information through infrastructure in the worst of worlds, which is often unfortunately the case because this is still a maturing domain they're tightly connected and it's hard to move between different technology systems to move data and information between systems right because they've been encoded in ways that don't allow easy exits when you think about it before we had highway systems in the united states before we had standards around roads, you might have a dirt road one place, maybe some asphalt or concrete in another place, and there's no way to really move across the country easily. And you know, in an interesting analogy, highway systems before we had highway systems, it was really hard to move across the United States. But when we put highway systems in place, it both enabled um, quick movement for commerce, uh, but also was helpful from a military perspective if there's you know was ever war on our land we want to be able to like transport and have supply chains move across so it helps industry it helps defense etc that interconnected infrastructure was powerful for many many reasons in many ways and the same thing with the internet the internet originally came out of the military and educational space uh, and it was about resilience we wanted a, a less centralized infrastructure for data and information to move through and that became the internet right so we've you know just that analogy kind of tracks there that data is really moving along technology infrastructure the internet was born from a u.s military project the advanced research projects agency network arpanet funded by the Department of Defense, was the first network to implement the protocol suite TCP-IP, which became the technical foundation of the modern internet. ARPANET was initially connected between computers at UCLA and Stanford on October 29, 1969, marking the birth of what would eventually evolve into the internet as we know it today. Widespread public access and use didn't come into existence until much later, The World Wide Web, which is a system of interlinked hypertext documents accessed through the internet, was proposed by Tim Berners-Lee in 1989. The first website went live at CERN, a European physics research center, in 1991. And it wasn't until the late 90s that the internet started gaining momentum in public use. 
So let me throw a hypothetical at you. I want to make this, you know, practical for some of the folks who are listening to this and might be interested in how to, you know, make it applicable to my daily life. So let's say you're a nonprofit organization. You've been around a couple years. You have some basic process, but it changes and you're introducing some new programs, um, you know, here and there. And your team is small but mighty and people are wearing multiple different hats and you recognize like you can see forward and you know that there's some need to you know start collecting more inf- data um, and that you probably need some better tools to help you do that but you have no idea like where to get started you know uh, what would be your advice this this often comes up in in a scenario where someone says we need a better data system or we need an improved data system, or, or we need to think about our data system. And often the, really when they say that they're thinking about a technology piece, but I would say that there's three legs to the stool, the system tool that we're, that we're talking about here. And it's, there's the data, the facts that you want, the informational context that you want there. So the data and the information is one piece. There's the technology you use, which is another piece, but then there's the processes that you're going with. And that's often the thing that gets least talked about and is in many ways most important. So if you're a nonprofit or philanthropy in philanthropy, if you're thinking about how we're leveling up from the very basics of how we're tracking facts and information, then those are the things that I would think about is the technology needs to just be the minimum level to achieve something like the least expensive, the easiest to use, um, no good usually comes of over-investing in technology. So you want the the least amount of technology that's a f- the most efficient. So Google Sheets often gets you there in the beginning, right? Um, pen and paper can get you there in the beginning. There's no 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 problem at all starting there. The less technology you have involved, a lot of times, the more flexible it is to change. And, and when you're in the beginnings of a new program or you're adjusting or shifting rapidly to new needs, you need that flexibility because you may think you know what data and information are you going to track at first, but that inevitably changes and sometimes rapidly and regularly. So then having the flexible technology infrastructure that can change with your changing needs is important. Keeping an eye on process and process is another thing that can be overdone like technology. So I always like to say the least amount of process to be effective as well. You want those guardrails there, but it should be thought about intentionally to some degree. Even if that's just asking the question, well, what what do we want to capture? When do we want to capture it? And how do we want to capture it? And then the data becomes what you do with those facts and that information, whether it becomes reports to stakeholders or whether you want it to better un- use it to better understand how you deliver your services or the descriptions of your clients or partners. A really important question is why? Why are you collecting this information? Is it to help you manage your day-to-day work? Is it because it's something you ultimately want to report on? Is it, you know, something that a uh, is required because of some kind of a grant that you have been, you know, given that you need to make sure that you're sharing out? But understanding the why is so helpful too, because there's kind of, you, you see two sides of the spectrum where maybe not enough data is being collected. And so you're missing opportunities to help supplement really valuable insights through reporting or, you know, other mechanisms but then also collecting too much to your point about over too much process, right? Where it's like, what, what are we going to do with all this information? And then you just kind of end, end up in this sea 
of data that's not all that useful, but people are spending a lot of time either swimming around in it or documenting it. And it's just, then you end up with a lot of noise. So finding that sweet spot is really, really key. Technology should always follow organizational strategy and not lead it. And so many organizations get in a place where they go to select a data system and they bring with it a bunch of structure that's encoded in the data model and the workflows that don't align to their needs. So the ability to to both have a perspective that looks at your system processes, your organizational system processes, including however you tease apart your policies and procedures and your workflows, and then the technology that supports that, but then even a higher level, what's your long-term vision, mission, goals, and objectives, however you split that out, like getting that seamlessly aligned is has a lot of advantages and takes a lot of work to be ruthlessly introspective and always shifting your perspective to ask, is this, you know, what's the challenge that we're facing today? Is it actually a technology challenge or is it a process challenge? Or we just don't know where we're headed, but it's a dance between like how much effort do you put in on design and thinking about things versus just doing and trying. And it's a hard balance to get when you're thinking about data and technology in the, and it, it really depends on where you're at in your evolution of an organization. Because if you're a, you know, $50 million behavioral health organization that has, you know, 50 systems implemented, a complex EHR, and if you're a hospital doing revenue cycle management, you know, it's, it's just different than if you're um, someone with a passion that got, you know, a $10,000 grant and wants to do programming over the summer to help, you know, kids who you know are interested in robotics, like how you use data and technology is just completely different than the teams and the methods. So I always go back, I fall back to not falling in love with cerebralness for one thing for just overthinking not falling in love with process for process sake not falling in love with technology for technology's sake and always ruthlessly challenging yourself to say what's the least amount of process what's the least amount of technology what's the least amount of data that we need right now to accomplish this and that what that does is it keeps you from waste from having to rework things from having to invest in areas that are not fruitful and it allows you and enables you to find the things that are and aren't working to do continuous quality improvement. I think, so I love this story. It's um, when I've tried to look at the history of it, I think it gets misattributed Attributed. to, thanks, just GPT. <laughs> um, I think it gets misattributed to, um, it gets called the story of the two wolves, uh, the story of the Cherokee grandfather. I think it gets misattributed to Cherokee history. Well, and maybe we could ask some of our friends in the Cherokee community about that at some point, but there's an elder sitting around the fire with the little ones. And, you know, as the story often goes is after the evening meal, it's right before bedtime and it's the entertainment in the old days before he had Instagram. And the kids would gather around and hear these stories and the elders would encode wisdom in them. And so you, there's a story of two wolves that are fighting and one wolf is this gnarly, dirty, fiery red eyes and 
claws as long as knives well and the other is a sleek you know illuminated wolf that is you know also fast and furious but encodes virtue inside it and the the gnarly wolf encodes in evil in the world and they're always fighting at each other and going around and around and tussling and the elder describes you know much more eloquently than i ever could and at the end of the description of this ongoing battle the the kids are like well well you know elder so-and-so which which wolf wins and then the elder responds the one you feed the most right and I think that's a great example of the DIKW pyramid because, I mean, yeah, sure, there's some facts there. There's wolves, you know, there's two of them, you know, there's some descriptions of, you know, their, um, you know, how they look, et cetera. And then there's some information in there, like they're fighting, right? So there's an interaction that's happening over time, right? And then you have some knowledge of, of the, the one you feed the most is the one that wins. And then the the, the wisdom then coded there that's metaphorical is, that you know where we put our time and energy it actually makes it it it's, it gets momentum and it actually makes it easier and if this is we know this from experience if you go and you're in a good you know workout routine or you're eating right or you're sleeping well it's easier to maintain it if you started from zero so um i think that's a really interesting example of the dikw pyramid as a reminder D-I-K-W is a framework for how to think about the different layers of meaning that we use to understand and process data. Data, information, knowledge, and wisdom, with each layer being a higher level of analysis that requires different levels of abstraction. And also a way to talk about dogs, because I'm a dog fan. There's going to be a constant dog-cat battle going on in our podcast. Inside of me, there are two cats. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about the DIKW pyramid, which is super useful tool. And several years ago, we created our own version of this that shows kind of some of the key dimensions of data and technology. And Aaron, why don't you talk a little sure. bit about ours? Well, the DIKW pyramid really is not focused on technology and infrastructure, right? Because you could have any, you could have paper, pen and paper, you story, you could have story that you're conveying information, knowledge and wisdom through as well as facts. And a lot of the work that we do is really focused on the infrastructure as well and the creating of efficiencies. Now, but these things play together, right? You can be at super advanced in one and not in the other. And in some situations, you may even over-invested in technology and not you really know how to use your information as well as you could uh, more advanced up the DIKW side. So what we did is we created a tool that's uh, also a pyramid, but it has two halves to the pyramid. You can kind of split it down the middle. And on one side, we have advancements in technology and infrastructure to help create efficiencies. And then on the other side, we have advancements in how we use data and turn it into information, knowledge, and wisdom. And that helps with efficacy. And so by acknowledging that both of these dimensions exist, Really, the idea is to free an organization to be able to focus on one or the other without confusing the two and trying to invest in one area when really you're looking for gains in in another area. Awesome explanation. And it's it's a pyramid, which you know implies a hierarchy, but this is not this is not like a moral judgment here. And the goal isn't necessarily to get to the very top of the pyramid, which is which represents, and we'll have a link to um, this in the show notes. So for those who are interested, you can dive in more. You know, that's the 
organizations that are using some of the most innovative technologies. They have highly sophisticated integrated systems. They're using automation and predictive analytics as you know part of their strategy. But you know that that's not when we talk about finding the the right size tool, the right you know just enough process, just enough technology, and just enough infrastructure. Um, yeah, the goal is not to reach the top, right? This is just a useful tool for thinking about, oh, these are the different dimensions. This is how we can think about this. You know, if I'm here, but I know I have more to go, or if I'm here and I know that it's not quite meeting the needs of our team or organization or community, well, then I have this as a tool to say, okay, what's next? What could I be thinking about? How can I augment what I'm doing currently? Um, again, a tool in and of itself. Yeah, and, that, and that's why a lot of these models, and and we sometimes do this ourselves too, is we talk about, data maturity and you know i i hate then we, we load in things that sounds sound judgmental because who of course wants to be immature at something right it's like oh well, i gotta fix that you know and and same thing with with these metaphors we have pyramids and it's like well certainly you want to be at the top of the pyramid right that's always the best place to be um and that's just not the case and this is why Again, we have to let organizational strategy lead technology because if you're just trying to get to the top of the data and technology advancement pyramid, then for the sake of getting to the top of it, then you're, that's not the right thing. And often when you look at it from an organizational strategy perspective, then you actually know when you don't want to invest. Like we don't want to go here. We don't want to do, we don't need to do those things, right? That may be enabled at the top of it. We don't need the most sophisticated systems if if it's not right size to your goals and your budgets and things like that then it's just a lark we talked a little bit about process and a really key process is when it comes to data and technology is making sure that it's being used consistently making sure that it's being used within the specific organization's expected regulations um and you know, that there's shared understanding about what all these things are. And so that gets framed as like data governance. And I think it'd be useful to talk a little bit about, you know, what data governance is, maybe some basic things to think about um, to give folks, you know, some some talking points to consider. Data has become so critical so fast in how it transforms into information, knowledge and wisdom in our society, but we haven't had the governance skills advance alongside the capabilities that we have in other ways. Like for example, a lot of communities may be using data systems and sharing data amongst other community organizations, but there may not be a community-wide data governance initiative, or even within certain sectors or domains, there may not be uh, um, adherence to any policies or methods and ways of, of handling data. When, when we don't have governance, what can happen is there can be all sorts of privacy and security concerns. There can be impacts to um, individual community members, uh, information that can be shared in ways that were unintended. Uh, people have lost jobs over not uh, adhering to the right controls that either weren't there or, or, or were there and they weren't adhered to. There can be financial regulatory impact to lack of that. So data governance is both necessary and still uh, a need that goes in many communities largely unmet. I want to talk a little bit about maybe one or two examples of organizations who have advanced their technology infrastructure. One of them 
we worked with was building a new data system to help support some of their team that was like out in the field and also to support some reporting work. And, you know, they had a tool that they were using and they've been using it for a while, but they just recognize, you know, it was growing pains. It's like, gosh, this is taking forever. And to get to a report, it was taking hours of one person's time every week. And they went through a process of creating a new system that, you know, was designed to meet their needs. And at the end of it, they ended up shaving off like 10 hours a week for one of their team members to be able to, um, you know, that was otherwise spent just hunting for information and pulling together different reports and piecing everything together in this really painful process. And they were actually able to take that time and create a new practice area for them. They were able to move into more of an advocacy space, which they previously hadn't even been able to think about. And that's awesome. Like, but that's that's expanding their reach, right, in a very tactical and practical way. And then, you know, even just some smaller wins, too. We have another organization that we've worked with, the foundation, who uh, implemented a new system to help them track information about the grantees that they're supporting. And they're able to have the system available so that when they're meeting, you know, with uh, trustees and and other key stakeholders, they can in real time answer questions. So you want to dive into this a little bit more? Okay, well, let's let's do it right now instead of relying on these older, you know, paper copies of reports that are static and potentially unsatisfying, you know, and then you have to take a lot of action items like you get that information and be able to share that in real time. That's huge, right? That's time that you know, would have been spent going back and looking for information. It's uh, meeting immediate needs. And so those are just a couple of examples of how that can manifest. And and there's so many more, you know, but and maybe you have some off the top of your head. I, I, I think those are great examples of efficiency creation. And the another way I like to think about efficiency creation, which I think is maybe more intuitive, is reduction in friction. Because when you say efficiency creation, people are like, I don't know, whatever, that sounds consultancy, you know, whatever, thanks, you know. But who doesn't experience friction in their daily organizational life? And and with org- clients we work with, that's, of course, all over the place. Like, that's usually one of the reasons they're bringing this in is make this easier, make it more accessible. Um, so I do think that those are great examples of where by reducing friction in processes, you can achieve something more quickly, more easily, et cetera. There's an example that I can think of around data governance, because I think of one of the big outcomes of good data governance, or really governance in general, is shared understanding. And we had a collection of food, rent, utility assistance programs that wanted to reduce friction, increase efficiencies for the clients they were serving. They would have a client come to one location and these locations were different partner organizations as well. So that added complexity, but a client could go to one organization and may not qualify based upon certain life situations, but could qualify for a different provider at a different organization, but they didn't have a way to transmit the client information back and forth between the locations. And so they weren't sure exactly if the client qualified for this other look and maybe they would call, maybe they would get on a bus and go across town and see. So this collection, this, this entity, this group of individual organizations came to us and said, can you create a shared system that can enable us to individually as organizations serve these clients, but also as a group, make it easier for clients to move between us. 
So we did. We created a shared data system that was able to section off the the right privacy and security rules for the right client data sets for each organization, but also could transmit information between them. And as part of that efficiency creation from a technology perspective, we also had to think about data governance. And there had to be a shared understanding of what was and wasn't allowed to be sectioned off or shared to what it even meant. If you, when you get into shared understanding around service delivery, you can spend a lot of time talking about how you track units of food or what a client or service interaction even is, what a, what's a household, what's a family. So all of that is a very interesting part of both creating technology systems, but also transmitting data and then also ensuring that data converts well into information knowledge and wisdom. So Aaron, we've talked a lot about organizations that are you know, they're really just getting started. They don't have a lot of infrastructure and they're trying to build it up. But what about the flip side when you, you know, what does it look like when an organization has overinvested? What is that, you know, what what are some of the outcomes and uh, what's that experience like? You know, a lot of times it's when we're, we're not setting the technology within the context of the organizational strategy, right? And, and, and no one's challenging why, asking the why question, like, why are we putting this in place. So one of the places it shows up most often, I feel like, is custom software builds that should have been an off-the-shelf product. And you should always, if you're not, if you're building custom software, you should always ask why. Why are we not taking something off the shelf? Prove to me that it, it doesn't, you know, that there we can't meet our needs with off-the-shelf software. Let's look at some packages, you know, evaluate them. So one big overinvestment area it's really easy to do is in custom software. Um, another one is when we're not checking in and learning from the, our investments along the way. And that's why we prefer agile informed software development cycles where you're, or some sort of continuous quality improvement where you do a little bit of something and you see if it worked or not. And you do a little bit more. So you can do that with data and technology investments instead of making huge investments over years that have a big payoff at the end, because frankly, by the you know, if you're going over years, probably the problems change, the players have changed, the situations change, make smaller incremental investments along the way. And so one of the the commonalities that you might see on overinvestment in data and technology is by not doing the small incremental investments along the way, building a huge software system and taking three years and several million dollars, but but waiting till the end to see if it works, right? You can still have big investments in technology that span years and large numbers but you should always be checking in along the way to make sure that you're heading towards the right North Star. And the other benefit of taking more of an incremental approach is that it gives you those opportunities to to use the system, to try it out. And, you know, it's one thing to check in and even do testing, but when you put it in motion, when you're actually using it to try to help you or your team is using it to to do their daily work, it's a totally different ball game. So, you know, that, that, and you can, you can do that if you break it up into more, you know, different, uh, like iterations like that. You know, keeping an eye out for individuals who are also interested in technology for technology's sake is, is also helpful. Now I feel on one hand, like I can relate to this group because I've seen, like, I do love what technology can do in the world. I'm not love technology for technology's sake, but it's fun to see tools and advancements that can help apply, you know, to that your everyday life or your organizational mission to do things more efficient and effective. Um, but it's easy to get 
follow like the will-o'-wisp into the woods, the, the advancements in technology. And if you can't discern between the snake oil and not the snake oil, you can definitely end up with a lot of money and time down the road with some hard lessons. So there's a balance between, you know, being someone that's anti-technology, never bring it in, never use it for no matter what. And, you know, always in love with technology and finding that strategic balance there is something that is really important. And that's why good partners exist, whether you have a CIO or you have a friend that you can phone, a consultant that you're bringing in. Um, but having that perspective there is helpful to strive and for the, your end goals and also strike that balance. So thanks everyone for joining us today. We are going to leave a number of links for you in the show notes so you can go check out the DIKW Pyramid on your own time. We'll have a link to our ebook, which has the pyramid that we created so you can see how we're thinking about the different dimensions of data and technology. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes.